This morning we are going to look at the miraculous birth of John the Baptist. Yeah, don't worry, next week we're going to look at the most important miraculous birth ever. We, we will look at it. But this week is fitting to look at John the Baptist first because he always came first. He was overlooked. He was the overlooked older cousin. Growing up, my best friend was the younger brother that got a 34 on his ACT. A perfect score is 36. It's really hard to get a 34. He got a full-ride scholarship to the University of Illinois academically. That's hard to get a full-ride scholarship academically to the University of Illinois. Well, it used to be. I don't know if it is anymore. I'm assuming it is. It's really hard. His older brother, he didn't get good grades at school. He didn't get a 34 on his ACT. He wasn't like an athlete. He got outshined by his little brother. That's a hard thing to happen. Now me, I had two younger brothers. I was the cream of the crop, right? I mean, come on. Don't look at my younger brother who is a, like has a body like a Greek god. But whatever, I mean, that's... But can you imagine being John the Baptist? Seriously. Why can't you be more like your cousin Jesus? I mean, how many times did John the Baptist hear that phrase in his life? Anyway, this older cousin was the advanced messenger to let the world know that the Messiah was coming. Is there any surprise, then, that this advanced messenger had a miraculous birth, just like his cousin Jesus? Is there any, any, any surprise in that? Is anyone shocked? What we are learning in this series is that a miraculous birth leads to a miraculous life. John the Baptist had a miraculous birth, And he definitely lived a miraculous life. Our take-home is that since we too were offered a miraculous birth, let's not waste it. Let's live a, a miraculous life. Last week we defined miraculous. What are we talking about? Are our lives going to be cured of cancer? Are we going to be able to stop the sun like Joshua did in Joshua chapter 10? Last week I talked about if someone falls asleep while I'm preaching a sermon, falls out of a third story window and dies, am I going to be able to bring them back to life? I mean, I know that happens. I see people fall asleep during my sermons all the time. Is that going to happen? Maybe. But maybe not. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about miraculous. The definition that we're working with is a miraculous life is living out God's purpose for your life. And so we talked about what that looks like. It's this. Number one is to commit or grow in your commitment to Christ. That's number one. Number two, commit or grow in your service to the kingdom. That's number two. Number three, commit or grow in sharing the gospel. That's number three. Number four, commit or grow in commitment to the church. 
Number five, begin or grow in serving God by serving others. Number six, begin or grow in sharing God with others. Number seven, begin or continue to carry your cross every day. And number eight, begin or continue to carry the name of Jesus. Those are God's purposes for your life. If you do nothing else in your life, that list will keep you busy for the rest of your life. Can you do them? Can you at least work on them? Because that's, that's what I'm trying to do. and I, I'm not successful a lot of the time, but I'm trying to do those things. Can, can we work on those? John tried to do those things. And so here are the, the thing, my takeaways from John the Baptist in his life, all right? This is a, just a, just a list, of a few things that I, I observed. So here we go, and then from John chapter 1. Number one, John the Baptist. Well, let me, let me do this, let me do this. I'm going to tell you a story about John the Baptist first. In case you don't know about John the Baptist, let me go. Verse 5 in, uh, in Luke chapter 1 tells us this. That when Herod was the king of Judea, Herod was the father of Herod Antipas. Now, now Herod Antipas was the Herod that had John the Baptist killed. Right? So that is this Herod's son. Okay? So Herod was the king of Judea. There was a priest named Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, who was also from the priestly line of Aaron, who was Moses' brother. Okay, so that, that's this line. It's a good line, all right? Verse 6, Luke points out right away, they were both righteous in God's eyes and were very careful to follow and obey all the Lord's commands and regulations. Luke does this, Why? Because he does not want anyone to be confused about the next part of the story. In verse 7, is this. They are both very, 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 very old. All right? That's not the part he wants to explain. Right? Everybody gets old. Right? And try as they might, they had never been able to have children. Now that's the part he's trying to explain here. Here's why. Back in those days, if you couldn't have kids, or you couldn't, if something was happening in your life, what did people think about you? You must have some sort of sin. You must be some sort of big sinner why God wouldn't let you have kids. So Luke points out right away, these people are righteous, they're good people, they just couldn't have kids. All right? The famous missionary slash translator, Bible translator Wycliffe translated the verse as this in verse 7. They had gone far in their days. Their good days were way behind them, is what that was translated to. They were old, like Walker old, right? 
So remember, people often thought there was some sin that caused these things, so Luke wanted to clear that up right away. Anyway, one day, Zechariah was serving in the temple when an angel appeared to him. Z is freaked out, and the angel says, Do not fear! God has heard your prayers. Your wife will give birth to a son, and you will name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Let me read this to you, verse 17, uh, verbatim. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Of course, being a man and old, Z can't help himself. He says, Huh? I'm old. My wife is old. Maybe I'm not hearing you right. It, it sounded like you said, I'm going to have a kid. How can that be on account of me being so old? Tisk, 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 right? Dumb move, right? I mean, that's a move I would have done, let's just be honest. I have a feeling Aaron, not to single out my friend Aaron, but, I mean, your boy is right there. Is that something Aaron would say, probably? Yeah, I mean, let's just be honest. Aaron would probably have said the exact same thing. And then the angel lets him have it. That's never a good thing, right? It's like the angel goes, <clears throat> let me read that verbatim. I am Gabriel. Stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. At this point, it's not sounding really good, right? At this point. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until this child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Ahem. And guess what? Zechariah never says another word until John is born. Meanwhile, while all this is going on, people are starting to wonder what is happening in the temple. And then Z comes out and is unable to speak. They realize something miraculous has happened. Soon after this exchange, lo and behold, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And in verse 25, we see Elizabeth speak. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Luke does this neat thing in Luke 1 where he jumps back and forth between the birth of, of, of uh, John the Baptist and, and Jesus. So he comes, jumps back and forth between the two stories. So then he jumps to Mary, and then he jumps back to Elizabeth, and then he jumps to where the, the two stories intersect, which is kind of cool. In verse 39, Elizabeth and Mary are both pregnant, and, and when Mary yells in the doorway, 
Mary comes to see him and he goes, Mary goes, hello! The scriptures say that Elizabeth's baby leaped within her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. It was as if the game was recognizing game. Game was recognizing game. Greatness was recognizing the greatness, if you know what I mean. Which, of course, would be what John the Baptist did for the rest of his life. And finally, in verse 57, we see that Elizabeth does indeed give birth to a son. And everyone assumes that they will name him Zechariah Jr., because that's the tradition. And then they are astonished when Elizabeth shakes her head no and says, no, his name is John. John? John? There's nobody in your family named John. And so they go over to Zechariah, they give him some paper and go, hey, hey, hey! Your wife's trying to name this kid John. Tell him it's Zechariah Jr. Zechariah grabs a pad and in big block letters writes J-O-H-N. And instantly, Zechariah is able to speak. And he starts praising God. For his boy. Pretty cool story, right? John the Baptist grows up. He just didn't, that didn't, the story didn't end there. John the Baptist does really cool things. But here's some things about John's life that, that, that I think are key for us. And the first one is that John, he didn't look the part. John the Baptist grew up to become the greatest prophet, a great instrument of God. He was the one that was going to set the stage for Jesus. Matthew eleven eleven. it says, I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. However, none of the others, none of the other priests, None of the other rabbis, none of the other Pharisees, no one accepted him. No one accepted John the Baptist. Why? He didn't look the part. He didn't sound the part. Look at Matthew 3, 5-6. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. And he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. I don't know what you know of about when you... Think about like religious teachers of the day. And I don't know if you know if you if you think of anything, what you think about what they look like. But it wasn't that. Right? Let me assure you, they didn't wear camel hair clothes, and they didn't eat honey, and they weren't wearing sandals and leather boots, or like a leather belt, right? That's not what they wore. I had a picture, but I forgot to put it in the slideshow. Sorry about that. But it says this, I was reading a, a, a scholar this week, he said, The Pharisees wore luxurious clothes with blue stripes on the corners of their cloak and four fringed ends. A garment worn by this Jewish sect was a tallet or a prayer shawl. 
it is said that the fringes and the four points were to remember the laws of Moses and the four letters of the names of God. The Pharisees also carried with them a small metal box or parchment strips tied to the hand or forehead with scripture passages referring to the Passover and Moses' redemption. You know, they had like golden threads and purple. Purple was royalty, right? I mean, they were like decked out. Always impeccably dressed. That's what the people of God wore. And you got this crazy man. You guys remember the old Geico commercials with the caveman? Right? That's what John the Baptist looked like. He had this crazy, and he never, they said he never cut his hair, right? So he had this crazy, dread-relocked, long hair. He ate honey, ate locusts, which is gross, right? And then he had like camels, hair and you know like just wild mountain man look and that crazy look in his eye and people are like this guy's nuts and this is the greatest prophet ever yep that's what he looked like he didn't look the part you know what folks i'm so thankful for john the baptist you know why because i don't look the part either I sure don't look the part. I own one suit. I hate wearing a suit. I just do it. I have to wear a funeral. I got a funeral or a wedding to do, and I'll 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 put it on. I'm not. I'm not. I don't like that stuff. You know. I like hunting shirts, fishing shirts. You know. I like shorts. I like, you know, that's just, I don't look the part. Thank God for John the Baptist because that means I don't have to look the part either. Not only that, he didn't act the part either. To be a good Jewish boy, you had to participate in all the what? All the feasts, all the festivals, all the celebrations. And you know what all of those entailed? Wine. Wine, 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 wine. Look at Matthew eleven eighteen. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and he said, and they all said about them, he has a demon. He has a demon. He's, he's crazy. Let me say this, though. He was also in great company. Because the very next verse in Matthew 11, it says that they also say the same thing about Jesus. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and this, instead of them saying, he has a demon, they said, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then Matthew says, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Jesus didn't look the part either. And if there is ever someone that I don't want to be compared to when not looking the part, it's with Jesus. I, I, I don't want to look the part. I don't want to look the part if it's, I don't get to look like Jesus, right? Number two, number two, John the Baptist was a forerunner of Jesus. You know, we don't use that term much anymore, right, forerunner? I think we use it for like a, a Toyota forerunner. That's pretty much the only time we use it now. But John the Baptist was known as a forerunner, and a forerunner is an advanced messenger, a harbinger, maybe a warm-up comic, maybe a warm-up band. You know, you go see a, a, a big band, and they trot out the, the opening act, and you're like, 
just bring out the big, you know, like, just bring out the good stuff, right? But it was the person to get you warmed up. It was the person to, to, to point to the big show. The person to say that somebody huge is coming. John 3.28, you yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. John was a glimpse of the Messiah to come. He was setting people free from their burdens. He was getting them ready to receive the Messiah that would be here soon. He was preparing the way, making the straight the way of Jesus. John baptized people for the forgiveness of sins. To symbolize repentance, the 180-degree turn in life, the precursor to Christian baptism for forgiveness and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist was indeed the greatest prophet. Listen, John the Baptist got to baptize Jesus. How cool is that? He was the one God chose to be worthy to do that. And the temptation was to think, I am the greatest prophet. But no, what was his response? Mark 1, 7-8, and this was his message, After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John 3.30, he must become greater I must become less. He knew his role. He was okay with being a stagehand. He was okay with not being the lead. He was okay with not being a star. And so what happened at the end? He was faithful. And do you know what his faithfulness got him? Does anybody remember? His head served on a silver plate, right? Number three, John the Baptist was an example for us today. I know, I know. Uh, I don't want to have my head served on a plate, so I'm good, right? Chances are, especially in this country, there is zero chance of that happening, so you don't have to worry about it. However, the first part of Matthew 11, 11 really speaks to me and maybe to you. Jesus says, I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. That was Jesus speaking. You know, Jesus said that. He says, there is no one who had lived on earth to that point that was greater than John the Baptist. I don't want to be the greatest person that has ever lived, but the why behind that statement is what strikes me. And the why is because of John's faithfulness. John was so faithful that Jesus said that he's the greatest person that has ever lived. Because he was willing to be different, because he was willing to be God's instrument, because he was willing to be bold, because he was willing to live radically and faithfully, and he was willing to love his neighbor and to put it all on the line for Jesus. He was an amazing example for me, and he's an amazing example for you. I want to live like him. I want to live like that. Church, can we live like that? Can we? 
Maybe not with the camel hair, okay? That seems weird. But can we live with the faithfulness? Our message and our job has not changed. Our message is still the message of John the Baptist. It's still the message of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Mark 15, 16, 15 through 16, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Matthew 3, 2, and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Matthew 28, 18-20, And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you, and surely I am with you always to the very, very end of the age. Let's be like John the Baptist. Let's go. Let's win the world for Jesus. Let's share the good news about the baby that was born, about the Savior that died, and about the King that is coming to save us all.